Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And we have a returning guest, Elliot Dasher, MD, is joining us from Martha's Vineyard. Good day to you, Elliot. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Good day. How are you? I'm wonderful. I'm here in, uh, it's not sunny this morning, but Encinitas, it's a foggy morning. We're we're used to that here. Uh, how about you? Things good? Things I'm nice. It's sunny here, and I spend my winters in Encinitas. Oh, you do? Well, then you oh, and I are going to have to get together when you're, when you're out here. So, um, Elliot's been on the show before. He's written many books, and I'm going to let my listeners know a little bit about you. Uh, Dr. Dasher studies and teaches the principles and practices of health and healing uh, with a special focus on inner development and human flourishing. His work emphasizes the traditional goals of medicine, the end of distress and suffering, and the promotion of each individual's fullest potential. Uh, he was born and raised in New York. He received his bachelor's degree from Queens College, C-U-N-Y, and attended medical school at S-U-N-Y at Buffalo. His postgraduate training was completed at Michael Reese Hospital in Chicago and on the Harvard Medical Service at Peter Bent Bingham Hospital in Boston. He's board certified internal medicine. Um, in 1996, he left medical practice to begin his in-depth study of the principles and practices of consciousness and health and the ongoing studies of the mind-body medicine, integral health, and human flourishing, uh, which is pursue, uh, pursued amongst the wisdom traditions of Asia. His unique education and inner aspects of health and hearing led him to his most recent book, which is, this is the one of the first ones, was Aware, Awake, Alive. Um, and if you would, Elliot, uh, hold up the book that we're going to be speaking about, which is called Meditation and Beyond. There you go. A piece that suppresses understanding happiness without a cause freedom from the known. Okay. So, you know, you have several books. People will put a link to your website so people can go look at the the books that you've written. But this book in particular, Meditation and Beyond, and I always like the beyond part because, you know, you speak about that uh, extensively. And I think it's important for people to know that meditation to just actually, how do you want to say it? relieve stress and have better relationships is one thing. And you state that it's evolving to better fit our modern world. You speak about what you refer to as the awareness-based meditation. Uh, can you speak with the listeners about this type of meditation and where you're trying to go with this? Yes. Most meditations um, in Western world have to do with suppressing the active, overactive mind, thoughts, feelings, images that are flowing through the mind to quiet the mind and calm the mind that way. So the focus is really on thoughts, feelings, images, and somehow or other distracting or suppressing them. But that's really um, a very uh, entry-level way of dealing with the mind. The most foundational part of the mind is our awareness. We're born into awareness. We are there as infants. We can experience our senses. We can experience in time our mind. So awareness, just pure, simple knowing, knowing that I'm alive, knowing that I have sight, I have sound, I have thoughts. That's our basic consciousness. 
and to begin to learn how to rest in that natural self and that essential self and that basic part of us, which we've lost because we spend our time in the mind dealing with mental objects, mental experiences, stress, etc. But we don't actually rest in the foundational elements of the mind, which is a simple, pure beingness, presence, and awareness. Well, what about the, you know, many times meditation, they talk about the mon- monkey mind. And, it, you know, really a lot of people ruminate. I'm going to use the word ruminate. They ruminate on things over and over and over and over and over again, right? And one of the techniques that's taught is really about how to quiet the monkey mind. On the other hand, you'll hear a lot of meditation teachers speak about, no, just let that stuff come in and let it be there and accept it for what it is. What what would you say about that? Because I hear it, I hear it both ways. Well, sensory experiences, thoughts, feelings, images are things that are never going to stop coming. That's the nature of the day-to-day ordinary mind. It's not a question of uh, that disturbing us. And there's nothing innate or inherent in a thought or a feeling or sensory experience that's going to distract us. It's how we relate to it. And the relationship we normally have to it is we like it or we don't like it. So we immediately have a preference. We pull it towards us if we like it, we push it away. We add a drama or a story to it. So we get involved with what goes through the mind. And the natural way of experiencing the mind is simply to be aware of it. To be observed the mind, you may be observing stillness, awareness itself, may be observing a thought, feeling, or image, but if you feed it with interest, you feed it with a story, if you feed it with, I like it, I don't like it, it gets bigger, bigger, it stays there in time. So the whole idea is simply note the way the mind actually works and be it, let it be, let it just go. It'll stop by itself. It does. You you have to give it some time. I know I went to an Easter Sunday service at SRF. I'm a devotee, and it was cold outside, and it was drizzling a bit, and there were all these people in parkas. And, you know, the nun was up there saying, well, now let's meditate. And you're thinking, man, it's cold. I don't know. I'd rather, you know, I'm used to sitting in my house and doing it there. So it was kind of funny because my mind was playing lots of tricks on me. Um, You know, you, you mentioned something in the book and you say that in the 70s, and I would say now as well, I don't think it's just the 70s, but you mentioned the 70s, that meditation is being touted to relieve stress, increase rate relaxation, improve sleep, and our relationships. While meditation does bring temporary relief from those conditions, um, that this is, you say, this is the lesser of the aim of meditation. Okay, I get that. Can you speak to the listeners about the deeper benefits of what you call human flourishing and beyond? Because that's really the where we're going with the beyond. Yeah, well, one begins to access this natural awareness and begins to rest in it, begins to watch the world from it. That natural awareness, which is there from the beginning, is not contaminated by thoughts, feelings, past history, or anything that's gone before. So it's very simple. It has this built-in sort of like a perfume serenity to it, what the Bible calls the peace that surpasses understanding. That's not the calmness in the ordinary mind that you get when you work with a variety of techniques. This is a stillness, far more profound. There's an intuitive wisdom there. There is a deep, profound, selfless compassion and love there. 
uh, there is a freedom from the known, from all previous experience, trauma, etc. So there are qualities of openness, wholeness, and and uh, possibility that rest in this natural self, which have been reduced down when we've taken on this name that we've been given and filled it with our past experiences and focused our time on that. You know, between the Zen teachings and all the various teachings of meditation, there's so many different techniques. So there's there's grief meditation, there's tongue lin, there's, you know, and I know many of my listeners know these, right? So it's, you know, you're breathing in the heaviness, you're breathing out the release of of that heaviness to heal the world. Um, from your perspective, because you've been doing meditation so long and you've been exposed to so many different um, meditation techniques. Um, it, don't all of these techniques that are being taught have a similar path to reaching this full union um, with a higher source, so to say? I think, I think they both all have two aspects to them. One is the improvement of the day-to-day human life. They all have that. And the other is going beyond that. Most techniques, most methods will focus on improving the quality of day-to-day life. They will not go beyond that because a technique or method can't take you to a place that has no techniques or methods. That's non-cognitive. And so to really learn how to drop into awareness, presence, or natural self without a technique, without a method, is to learn how to rest in that more and more during the day as well as during the formal practice session. So in a sense, you could say they all lead to the same place, but they really don't. Uh, if you participate in them, most of them will be satisfied with a calmer, still mind. And that's it. So you'll get the relaxation and you'll get the relief from stress and maybe improve your, your sleep, but you may not get to the very deep point. And we're going to let our listeners go on a very brief little meditation with you. And I'm going to tell them to there'll be a link to Amazon to the book and to your website. But the reality is, is that you also have in this book a QR code um, and we'll get to that. We'll talk about it. So you've got some of these meditations recorded. Um, now, you cite a great poem from Francis Thomas called The Hound of Heaven. I thought it was great. You, you've cited actually several poems within the in your book. Can you tell the listeners a bit about Thompson and the significant meaning of the poem and this, um, the, you know, this irrepressible urge that quickens what you call the soul and spirit toward recognize, recognition and reunion of the true self or the divine essence? Well, Thompson was a young British man, went to medical school much like I did, but gave that up very early in life to write poetry and literature, uh, took on that life, ended up on the streets, addicted to opioids, yeah. uh, had a very difficult life, and eventually was taken in by someone who recognized his poetry of being of great value. And in his recovery from opiates, he spent many years at an English uh, Catholic priory, and it was there that he wrote The Hound of Heaven. Well, the he, Hound died of Heaven for, he died at 47, right? At was 47, you? correct, yeah, tuberculosis. Um, he wrote that wonderful book about this urge that we all feel 
it may take different forms, but it's the sense that we know there's nothing more. There's something more. There's something chasing us. There's something yet we haven't touched in life. It's amorphous enough we really can't put it in words. And so this poem speaks about, in his sense, God, but it could be our basic self, our deeper nature, our essence, that's constantly trying to pull us back home to the source, to the richness and the depth of human life, and will let us go. Because, you know, a hound is quiet, and it uh, it stalks for a long period of time. It's patient, and it keeps on coming. And many of us feel that, but we turn to the wrong place. We turn to outside things, which cannot give us that heaven. And we often turn to meditation techniques or other techniques, which are going to give us quiet, but we're going to lose the heaven that's there. Will not do you, think, that, do you think Thompson, and you know, I've, I haven't had Michael Pullman on the show, but I've read many of his books. And, you know, there's a lot of people today that doing ayahuasca and the opioids that, that Thompson took obviously give you an altered state of consciousness as a result of, and you're a doctor, so you get this. I, I don't need to talk about it too much. There are people that are trying to get into different states or levels of consciousness as a result of microdosing various plant-based substances uh, that will alter the mind, right? So the question I would have for you, do you believe that Thompson, from his opioid use, got himself to a different space? Um, I, I would like to really know that from an MD standpoint. Well, the book that I like the most on this is William James, the uh, wrote the varieties of religious experience in the 1890s. And he looked at all kinds of different ways in which people had this, what he called the religious mind, the sense of wholeness, completeness, fullness, flow, serenity, joy, uh, whether that was drugs or whether that was a religious experience or any other form. And he found certain characteristics. The first one is the most essential one. He found in every single experience of the natural self or the divine self or the sacred self, there was first a loss of personal identity. There was a loss of ego. There was a loss of the sense of I. There was no control, no history. When that dissolves away in all of those experiences, what remains is our natural self. We try to achieve the same way with the natural meditation. And that has all the same qualities no matter how you come at it. It's whole is authentically believed to be truth, uh, is generally transient, uh, unless one really practices and works with it. But the key is the dissolution or the lack of investment or rumination on the personal self. And that personal self dissipates. What remains is the larger self. You know, uh, there's a doctor here in Del Mar, um, Steve Berman, and I think I introduced you to him. I'm not certain if I did or not, but he wrote Healing Beyond Pills and Potions. And like you, he was an emergency room doctor. You you weren't exactly that, but he did that for 25 plus years. He's in his mid-70s now. And he's um, he is my hypnotist. Um, Interestingly, back then, he was hypnotizing his patients before they would go under surgery. He would do hypnosis, the ones that would accept it. And what I found interesting about his technique was the ability to really get into this altered state of consciousness pretty rapidly as a result of hypnosis. Any thoughts about that before we go on to the five-minute meditation? 
Well, I think it's really quite easy uh, to drop into one's natural self. That's the uh, mystery of the whole thing. I've been teaching meditation for 30 or more years. And I found now, the last number of years, as I just, without techniques, just take people into the natural self, it's very simple. It's not complicated. Because right. Why is it not complicated? Because it's already and always there. Yeah. It's not creating something. It's moving away the obscurations, the veils, which is basically the personal self and its thoughts, feelings, images, problems, concerns, habits, and so on. So it's quite easy to actually introduce people to this, much easier than struggling with the technique, because most techniques that try to deal with the mental noise end up creating a struggle. Well, if you want to be in this state, and I remember what the nun said Sunday was um, uh, to move from the ego consciousness to the soul consciousness, which is what we actually seek. Um, it really is about your practice of meditation because the ego consciousness is always there. You're never going to get rid of it. The reality is, is how do you mm, live with it, right? Um, and I think that's a big one. I think a great way for people that are on the other end of this call to actually get an experience might be just like right now, a five-minute brief meditation if you'd be willing to take us down that path, or maybe not even five minutes, but as long as you think we would be to kind of drop in, because, you know, there's nothing like the true experience. Here we are on Zoom, thousands of listeners. This is your great opportunity, everybody, to actually have Elliot um, talk us through and get us to an altered state of consciousness. Well, I think we can do it in a brief few minutes. There are two things I want to show, two very natural experiences. The first one will be calming the mind with breathing. Uh, we take two sighs every minute. Those are built into ventilators. A sigh is the deep breath in, out, and a resting. Resting in no breath at all, just a sensation of the breath. That resting in the breath, there cannot be cognition there because it turns off suppresses the restlessness aspects of the brain. It's called neural default mode. So a very quick, natural way of quieting the mind. So we're going to do that first. Deep breath in. Just hold and rest in the cessation of breath at the end of the expiration. You experience the stillness that's naturally there. No technique here. Deep breath in. Experience the stillness that's naturally there. The presence. The beingness. There cannot be any restless mind when the breathing has ceased. And the breathing cessation at the end of an inspiration and expiration is normally there. To go a little further, we're going to go back to a normal breath now. You can do that practice longer, and it's a preliminary that'll quiet the coarse noise of the mind. We now can just go to a normal breath, one that's slow, harmonious, easy, which kind of simulates this breath hold. And then you come into the very present moment. Just come into the here and now. Sense of observing, sense of awareness, just being. Nothing to do, 
No place to go. No one to be. Just let go of all the sense of your personal self, thoughts, feelings, judgments, ideas, beliefs. Put them aside for the moment. Just be in what remains. A simple awareness. Simple presence. Thoughts, feelings, images arise as they will. Have a Teflon awareness. Let them be, let them go. They're a natural background. If you don't pay attention or feed them with attention or interest, they'll dissipate on their own. And what's left is this awareness. So there's no fighting with our mental commentary. There's just being with it. It's okay. Who cares? It's not about me. It's not who I am. Awareness. Presence. Beingness. Loose muscles. Which also deactivate the right restless aspects of the mind. Here and now. It's experience that nothingness which is everythingness. Right here. Right now. Already. Always. So we're going to well, thank you for that. That was um, great. That is, you know, when you do a podcast show like this and you go into something like that, I've done this before. Um, and for all my listeners, you get it. But you can already tell that the way Elliot approaches this meditation beyond is certainly um, unique. And for all of those who've never meditated, who actually took a few minutes with us just then. Thank you for that. And for all of you who are regular meditators, I hope you receive something different. You will definitely uh, from reading his book. I know I did. You can get it in Kindle version as well. Um, and and so the book is, is, is out there. It's on Amazon. Uh, so please go pick up a copy of Meditation and Beyond. Um, you know, Elliot, you mentioned in the book that the second aim of man meditation is transcendence or transcendent. Um, that is going beyond our acquired personal identity, which you just mentioned in the meditation, uh, to the foundational essence of our being. Um, how can our listeners take the leap in their meditation practice? to go deeper, or maybe it isn't a leap, but in my estimation, I think for many, it is a leap. Um, what would what would you say about that? Because everybody seeks this. This I, I don't think this isn't something that if you're alive and living and aware, that you don't seek. As a matter of fact, you wish you ha- could sustain this state all day long, right? Um, I notice, and I've actually gone to see the Dalai Lama speak many times in person, and I was just dumbfounded by 
how happy and how often he laughs. You know, you're just like, this guy's laughing all the time. It's like every other third sentence is he's going, <laughs> you know, and I, I respect him for that because I think that happiness is so apparent in somebody who obviously seems so calm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so speak with us about the transcendent. Well, the, what we're transcending, what we're going beyond is our belief a belief that we are our personal identity. You know, this personal identity was not there at birth. They gave us a name. Your name is Mary, 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 Mary. And then a lifetime of this Mary becomes a container for all the life experiences that we've had that are all old that we then call ourself. That's what we believe we are. So what we're transcending is the belief that the tenacious belief that we are this personal self. Now, once we can move beyond that, uh, through understanding, through meditation, we open up the self-revealing presence, the self-revealing uh, essence of self and its qualities of human flourishing, because it's already there. So what we do is simply move away. We move away. We lose faith in this personal self. And we have this more desire uh, to have this place inside. Now, then we have to let go of the seeker and the seeking. Because the seeking and the seeking are also an ego event. They're an ego structure. So they help us in the beginning. But then we have to go into the kind of meditation we, we went into without any expectation. Desires, attachment, hope, control. Because all of that is ego. As long as that's there, the veils won't part. So we learn to just let all of that go. And just simply, easily, naturally, carefree, just be. It's that simple. It is, it is a practice, though, and I and that's why they call it the practice of meditation. Maybe practice isn't the right word, but I think that it still is. And when you awaken to your true self by practicing what you call awareness-based meditation, um, and that's the ultimate aim is this awareness, right? I think that's all we really have is to be uh, is to be aware and if we are aware of what we're doing uh to ourselves and others around us we can change something because it's really about how do we alter how do we change what ways can our listeners reduce this subconscious egoic nature that separates themselves from soul and spirit i know this is a pretty deep question but the reality is, is that I had to get it in because <laughs> I thought, hey, how, because it's always separating us from the source. Whereas there is a level of disillusionment and frustration that comes about. Our culture tells us that this home that we lost when we left, left our youth, this natural self, that we'll get it back by going out there. By through name, through fame, through achievement, through recognition, through money, through sexuality, through intimacy, that we will get some permanent uh, replacement for the home we lost. We lost our infancy. So we develop, eventually develop a recognition. Wait a minute. All these things out there are not giving it to me. I see very wealthy people, not happening for them either. I see very famous people, not happening for them either. We begin to have a disillusionment that this self and its seeking in the outside world for what can only be found inside. We begin to do that disillusionment. 
begin to chip away a little bit. And then we begin to have these experiences, these moments of nature, uh, intimacy, beauty, art, where all of a sudden we're thrust into a state of flow. And that flow that we receive in any of those kind of circumstances is momentary and transient. But if we look, we'll see our ego's not there. So we have moments of we're touching this place naturally. We begin to orient ourselves more towards that experience without having to be dependent on the circumstance to create it. So slowly we become more familiar with the joy of a natural self and at the same time increasingly disillusioned with our efforts in the outside world, which are what our culture has taught us to do because if we stop searching outside for what's not inside, our whole economy will collapse. Yeah, I think that the people that want to use some kind of plant-based medicine, they're trying to hasten it. It's almost like, well, I've never had the experience, so I want to, and I want to speed it up. I want to make this happen quicker. I want to make it happen better. I want to do whatever. But the reality is, is that you have everything within you to get there without using some mind-altering medicine. And in your book on chapter and the mind-body, you talk about the limitations of the medical model that reduces health and disease to solely biological factors. And I think, you know, look, we live in a society that's spending uh, in excess of a trillion dollars on healthcare today. Um, And it doesn't seem to be getting any better. And you were a doctor for so long, internal medicine. Um, And if there's anybody that had an opportunity to not only see patients, but probably operate on patients and see what's going on inside the body and how we create this disease, it would be somebody like you. And it always fascinates me about how many consciously aware individuals, physicians who've gone through all of this training, like you and Steve and many others who've been on the show, end up doing like functional medicine or end up doing meditation programs or end up doing all these alternative practices which are not conventional and fundamentally the medicine that you were taught. How can we reach a whole healing by understanding the power of the mind and the healing process? Because there are a lot of people that would like to heal. Yeah, I think the first thing we have to do, of course, there are many um, uh, approaches that are, that are, could be helpful, biofeedback, acupuncture, and so on. Um, but I think ultimately, when you look at the Dalai Lama, as you were saying, you see joy on his face and a peace. That's what I saw the first time I saw him. That's what took me to India over 12 years, uh, yearly for three to six months a year to study with him because there's something of well-being that is there that even to the extent that the mind and the spirit, when it's actualized, can lessen and help uh, uh, remedy disease. More than that, it provides well-being. Well-being is not related to the presence or absence of disease. Well-being is a state of health. You and I have seen people die in great despair. We've also seen people die in great, great grace and peace. What is the difference? The death is the same in both. The difference is that it's held a different way. It's held in the soul and in the spirit. And there's well-being there to the very end. So it's important to separate the issue of well-being, happiness, and health from the issue of disease. You can be quite well in your soul and your spirit and that peace and still have physical disease. So we get two for one. 
we get access to a permanent and unchanging source of well-being, and we begin to lessen the factor of an abnormal uh, mental state on the presence of particularly chronic disease. How much do you believe, Elliot, that it's how one relates to their finitude um, from a standpoint of understanding their finitude to actually be at peace with the fact that we're only given a certain number of years here. We never know when, right? Um, COVID was a great example of that and taught people, I think, a lot um, about how precious life is. Um, what would you say about the relationship to understanding um, just death? Many of the uh, people think of that as permanent. I think it, I'm not, obviously, I do spirituality program on spirituality here as well. So I have my own opinions about it, but thousands of my listeners, I'm sure, don't believe the same thing that I believe about reincarnation or any of that. Um, I, I probably even have some atheists that are listening to this show. <laughs> so what would you say just from, I wouldn't say a scientific standpoint, but just from a educational standpoint of how one is able to remove the fears associated with finitude? Because, you know, you see some people that go into their, I have a father-in-law's in his nineties. He's so afraid of dying. Right. Yeah. And, and I guess there's got to be a connection between that fear and the willingness to let go. Yes. I mean, I would say, who is it that's fearing? Is it the deeper natural self that's fearing? Or is it the ego self fearing its loss? Well, I'm sure it's the ego self. Right. So the problem, again, is to the extent that we are, our entire focus is preserving uh, our ego, our I of which our attachment to the body is a big part of it. To the extent that that's there, we're going to suffer that loss. But when people are in this natural state of being, if you ask them whether there's any time, they'll say no. You ask them, does that serenity have a beginning and an end? They'll say no. It's an entirely different experience outside the ego uh, in terms of life and death. And so, again, it's the ego that's afraid. And so long as we're living in that ego structure and have no other alternative deeper eye we're going to suffer that it's is that is very simply put and very true to me it's true to me you know you have a chapter called homecoming and you ask the question why is it so difficult to see through the core truth of our life to the essence of who we are and have always been um, you state we have forgotten who we are and deeply believe in who we are not. Again, much of what we've been talking about in this podcast so far up till now. What advice do you have to awaken to the true self and realize what we are capable of becoming? Because to me, hum human flourishing is really about what our potential is about what we can become. I've had Stephen Kotler on here many times. He's the head of the flow genome project. Um, he's written six books. He's prolific about the study of hacking flow. All right. Um, I'm not a hundred percent certain you can hack flow, but there are people out there who are certainly attempting to hack flow. What would you say about getting to this, this true 
who we are, not who we believe we are. Well, to begin with, it takes a devotion. That is a devotion that comes from having tasted. We all have a foreknowledge of what that place is, what that sacred divine place is. We've all had that experience, maybe in childhood, uh, other moments in life, as I mentioned before. We all have a taste of that, and that taste has to become strong enough, and the frustration or disillusionment with the ego-seeking has to become strong enough that you kind of cross a point, a pivotal point, in which you say, you know, there's no more while worthwhile effort in terms of investing in trying to take extract from the world, you know, harvest from the world, a permanent happiness or serenity or peace. It's not there that way through the ego. And at the same time, I've touched a place where it, which is gold for me. It, to live that way every day would be heaven on earth. And I want that. And then, you know, when I started really into this journey is when I saw the Tibetans in Dharamsala the first time. I, I looked on their face. I said, oh, my God, they've got what I want. Like that movie, uh, you know, I want, which which you just had. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I went back for three to six months a year for 12 years to study with them. I'm not saying that's what everybody has to do. Um, uh, we can reach it uh, easily, more quickly with the right kind of help. But it has that double thread, that sense that, you know, one more relationship, one more title, one more degree is not going to give me sustained peace and happiness. I don't want to die without it. And well, yet, and I think end, that's, I think you hit the nail on the head, sustained peace and happiness. You know, the Dalai Lama, which you said you studied under, it, it's almost like he's got a sustained peace and happiness. I, I think at the center of a, tornado at the core it's really that is you know could you just stand there right in the essence yes you could if you were at the center everything else is chaos you know the velocity the winds and everything but i think that's a good example of being able to stand in the midst of all that's going on today and still be able to keep our peace and happiness is something uh that's really quite profound because most of us are drawn into the Maya of all of this stuff, right? And um, it, it's it's it, it's an allure, but it's so temporary. All of it's so temporary. The only thing that is permanent is that peace and happiness. And you know, you share in your book ten session audio practices through a QR code that people can access for 15-minute practices. And all they got to do is put their phone up to the QR code and, and, and download it, or it'll take them to the page. Can you speak about the audio recordings and what the listeners can expect? Uh, these are 10 recordings, which progressively uh, take the um, individual. There's a few minutes of teaching on each one and then meditation mostly. Uh, through the kind of meditation we did before, but in a more progressive way and a little bit more detailed and of greater depth. So it's a way of taking somebody through that process so they have somebody with them, me in, in this case. And so they come to a place where they're learning the whole time about the personal self, about the true self, and so on. So this meditation is a 10-session progression of what we did today. Well, it's a great opportunity folks and inside the book you'll see it there there's a qr code um, when you get the book whether it's a kindle version or if you want to hold the book up again 
that would be great whether you buy the physical copy of the book or not. Uh, you literally have that QR code in there to get to these. And um, I haven't been through them yet, but I'm going to. So Elliot, I would say great for you for putting those in because that's very experiential. It's not just reading words on the page. It's really listening to something and being able to do something with it. Now, to kind of wrap up our interview, meditation is a great opportunity for people to heal so much of their lives, uh, so many elements of their lives. Uh, most importantly, to connect, as you've been talking about throughout this interview, our true self, which requires a deeper dive into the practice. In other words, meditation and beyond, not just to get relief from stress temporarily um, or to build a relationship. What three things would you inform our listeners about to help them find their true self, Elliot? Well, first of all, the... Um... Uh, begin to recognize that you are not, and we're not born your personal self, and you are not your personal self, and that the personal self cannot, cannot achieve what is only there with inside. To realize it's only inside that we can achieve this sustained peace, happiness, joy, and delight that we're all aiming for. And to self-remember during the day, not only practice, but during the day, remember, just stop for a moment. Maybe take one of those deep breaths and holes and just say, who am I? Who am I? I am. I exist. I'm aware. That's who I was in the very beginning. So visited momentarily during the day, multiple times. Visited during practice. And if we can self-remember these little islands of transcendent experience, our deeper self, become larger land masses, and slowly it will underlie the foundation of our day-to-day -day life. So instead of our day-to-day -day experiences dropping into the ego structure with all its reactivity, interpretation, judgment, and so on, our day-to-day -day activity drops into stillness, peace, joy, ease, and it makes everything different on the outside when we're different on the inside. So those are the things I would do to really be aware of the personal self, the self that goes beyond that, and practice remembering who and what we truly are. And for my listeners, uh, we've been, been on with Elliot Dasher. He's got a book out called Meditation and Beyond. We'll put links to that. We'll put links to his website. Please go visit the website. Please go use that QR code is, that's there. Elliot, it's been an honor and pleasure to have you back on Inside Personal Growth. Uh, to speak about your new book and to, to give some greater level of awareness about what meditation can do and what people are capable of doing as a result of these practices. And I want to say namaste to Elliot and Thank to all my much. listeners that are out there. Um, see the God within yourself, the namaste. Um, it's, it's there and use these practices uh, to better your life and to better the lives of people around you because of the way that, because of who you've become um, as a result of doing these practices. Uh, namaste to you, Elliot. Thanks for your time today. So appreciate you and all that you're doing to help heal the world. Thank you. My pleasure. And thank you for this work that brings to other people uh, these uh, new approaches and ideas. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. 
We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again, and have a wonderful day.